0: So good to be with you again today. Continuity is a good thing. Um, I, there's a car, I'm a cartoon fanatic. I've been given the gift of all of Calvin and Hobbes and all of Far Side, you know, the big bound copies because I talk about them. But one little cartoon I like is guy showing uh, visitors around heaven showing him different rooms in heaven. And there's a room here for like people who killed others. And there's a room here for, uh, you see on the thing, people who robbed. And the third one is people who drove slow in the left lane. <laughs> right? So I thought of, as we were having our meeting here, that we're not in hell but in heaven. But there are certain places in heaven... That are kind of the lower end, you know, other side of the tracks of heaven, whatever. And uh, there's a label on that that side. It says, "Those members and visitors who did not read their emails at New Saint Peter." So, <laughs> just saying, maybe you should read your emails, All right? So, we'll be reading uh, from Romans eight. We started in Romans eight last week uh, on the section on. Sons, children of God, and the wonderful connection between how this section on the children of God, and really, it's not between the section of the children of God and the section on future glory, it's the future glory of the children of God. So all of this is about being the children of God and what uh, is our uh, situation now and what will be our situation in the future. So, though there's a a break at verse 18, probably in your Bible and new paragraph, this is all one piece about the children of God. So, you may recall in verse 17, if we're children, then heirs, it's automatic. If you're a child, then you inherit everything. So, we're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be Also be glorified with him, and the question might be, "Well, is that is that really good? I mean, this suffering part. uh, You're you're telling me something that's good to be a child, but the suffering part. And he he gives you a reason why that is good news for you. That's why he starts with for or because. So, uh, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him, because. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we're like, oh, okay, now I get the suffering part. And that's good news because you're telling me, bear this in mind. The present suffering is not uh, to be compared with the glory that is to come because. Or four, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For or because the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So the reading of, oh, and then I think y'all included, yeah, good. Verse 21, so... Because of him and subject in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Thus the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to try to grapple in some way with the majesty of what is said about us in this passage, we, we pray that you would... Open up our hearts to receive it and, Lord, to believe it, to embrace it, to depend on it, to live in light of it, uh, to endure suffering because of it, to uh, sacrifice our own desires that stand against you because, in part, of the glory to come. May it encourage us and strengthen us, comfort us against all that we may and will face in this life uh, to set our hearts as Peter says, to set your hearts completely on the grace to be brought to you at the coming of Christ Jesus. Oh Lord give us that grace continually for we are weak we tend so much to unbelief, we tend so much to a myopic, nearsighted view of life. Oh Lord give us eyes to see the future glory. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. So, a simple uh, outline here. Your coming glory is great by comparison. Your coming glory is great in its comprehensiveness. Don't ever use the word comprehensiveness in an outline, right? But there's a kind of an onomatopoeia there. It's comprehensiveness because we're talking it's really comprehensive, all right? So, that's why I chose that word in part. But we start, though, with... Great by comparison. Now, it's important to realize that the comparison here is not between sufferings in this life and the glory, whatever it may be, when we die and go with Christ. Actually, in the New Testament, there's not much said about that. Uh, two places in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5 and Philippians 1, where there's actual mention of, of dying and going to be with the Lord. And that's the primary focus will be with the Lord then. And that is glorious, way better than being here too. And you get glimpses in uh, Hebrews uh, of us being around or or that there is a crowd of people with the angels uh, that are worshiping God. And we're called the spirits of righteous people that have been made perfect. So if we're perfect, then we're perfect in joy. But we are bodiless, right? And so you'll read in Revelation 6.10, interestingly, and maybe shockingly, that there are people, that we, the people of God, are actually crying out, How long? How long? You think, well, I thought everything was, you know, just resting and easy and we're here and everything's... No, it's not. Now, it's a holy longing. It's a sinless longing. I I would liken it to the desire of kids for the trip to Disney World to come, you know, that eagerness of what's coming in perfect joy. But still, how long will it be before the restoration of all things and the restoration of our bodies, etc.? So this is not talking about dying and going to heaven it's the difference between our suffering now and the future glory that we will experience when Christ comes. And we'll be transformed in resurrection, likened to his resurrection, and the whole earth will be remade, reborn, you might say. And we enter into what's called the new heavens and the new earth. So the contrast between now and this creation and the new Creation, and as I indicated at the beginning, the four is because we can we can eagerly embrace our suffering, knowing that glory is to come because you can't even compare the two the one is so much greater than the other, and of course, this suffering includes every kind of suffering. We're Persecution, to loneliness, to disaster, to disease. Now, uh, for the kids, just to try to imagine this contrast. So imagine uh, Patrick Hagan and James Bell, two little boys, are sitting on a seesaw, just sitting on a seesaw. Here comes running down the hill Connor Williams, left guard of the Dallas Cowboys, 6'5. 310 pounds, and he hits a little trampoline, jumps up, and lands on the other side of that seesaw. Where are those two boys? Where are they going to be? Where will they stop, right? They're going to be in orbit, no doubt. You know, Elon Musk, you eat your heart out. I mean, look what happened there. And you can just see the two guys or the the group in the uh, space station uh, Houston, we are observing a satellite passing by and there are two little boys playing Legos on the satellite. Are you on drugs? No, we all see them, right? But the contrast between this giant Dallas Cowboys uh, lineman and two little boys, that's what Paul is trying to describe for us. You can't even compare the two. This is so small, the suffering, and the glory is so great. He does the same thing in 2 Corinthians 4, where he calls our suffering this temporary light suffering. And this is Paul, suffered 50 lashes, you know, 49 lashes, multiple times, shipwrecked, starving, all these things. All light temporary for the eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And he puts two words together that are uh, have the word hyper. So hyper beyond and hyper beyond. You know, we need at that point, Buzz Lightyear, you know, to infinity and beyond great. That's how great the glory is that's to come. And it makes the suffering now to be light and temporary, just like that. Now, an illustration that might be a little closer to what Paul's talking about. Imagine that you decide that you want to uh, make a little extra money. Uh, maybe you're having financial hard times or you just want to have some extra money. And so you go down and you are going to go out on a Saturday and be a bricklayer. Uh, And let's just suppose you're living in West Texas. And so you start working in the morning and all these unused muscles, you know, are just killing you by lunch. And then in the afternoon, the temperature is going to rise as about 110 degrees and, Everything in you hurts you your your arms your 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 hands your head is hurting and you almost black out a couple of times finally you get through the day you stumble in the home a couple of friends are there and family and you tell them how hard it was and i say, well how much did you make and you say 200 and they say well you know, $25 an hour, unskilled labor, that's not too basic. No, no, you, $200 million, $200 million. Yes, and they are giving me a 5,000 square foot house in Highland Park in Dallas, and I have a lifetime membership to uh, the hollow, I just lost the name, uh, <laughs> of the uh, well, let's just say it's the Dallas Country Club. We'll switch to that. I know that one, all right? And, and they're giving me a, a yacht and they're giving me a jet. I think for one day of hard, hard work, even though you might've almost blacked out, still, and that's what Paul is saying. You just add up suffering for 85 years and it's still just one grain of sand compared to an endless beach. That's how great this glory is to come. It is great by comparison. And he says here, this suffering will be revealed to us, or this glory will be revealed to us. Actually, the word is revealed into us. There's the idea that this glory reaches out and includes us in its radiance. It apprehends us. This glory is bestowed on us like a gift. It doesn't leave us outside the glory embrace. You're a part of this glory. You're a participant in this glory. You're not in the stands. You're in the game, on the field. You're not a part of the audience. You're playing the concert. And actually creation becomes the audience as it is there to behold the glory of the children of God. Even we read in Peter and Ephesians that the angels are the audience to see the glory of the children of God. And in this, simply the unveiling of the true nature of Christians. Because we suffer and we're weak. We die like everybody else. As one scholar has written, the last day will be a public show of who and what we really are as the royal children of God. And so I like to think of each of us from Lord of the Rings, each one of us, uh, man, woman, boy, girl, is Strider. And Strider, there he was, this, this king, but he was just looked like everybody else, strong, fierce, a warrior, but nobody knew who he really was. That he was Aragorn, Elisar, high king of, uh, of Aron and uh, of Arnor and Gondor. And he uh, but was working, as it were, undercover. And that's who you and I are. We are working undercover, kings and queens. Incognito royalty is actually what we are, working for the coming kingdom. And we're served and protected by mighty angels in preparation for our final royal reign as the children of God. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. And it's amazing that Christ would die just that our sins would be forgiven and we'd be accepted. But he died and earned a kingdom and he gives us that kingdom and shares it with us. That is an awesome act of love and grace and kindness to us, our salvation. So it cannot be compared. It is great by comparison. And then it's great in its comprehensiveness. It's great in its comprehensiveness. It says here, and it, it's easy as as I've read this many many times to not catch exactly what he's saying here. But the comprehensiveness is underscored in verse nineteen. Uh, the glory that's to be revealed for us to us, because even the creation awaits for the eager longing. You see, that's the feel of the passage. This is how great the glory is to coming because. All of creation is waiting for this thing to happen to you. The whole creation is oriented toward that moment when we will be revealed, yes, that's who you are in God's scheme, in the history of this world as his children. Paul dazzles his readers with the attractiveness and the beauty of the future glory. Phillips translation, pretty famous one. The creation is on tiptoe, breathless with anticipation, craning forward like an owner of a horse at the Kentucky Derby that is neck and neck and finally wins and he's just there eager as he sees that his horse wins the Kentucky Derby. I thought what it would have been like if in say 1978, eight years after the Beatles disbanded and they stopped public concerts in 67. So the last three years, they're just in the studio producing their amazing music. <clears throat> but let's just say in 1978, they announced there's gonna be this concert in America. Uh, the venue's 12,000. There's a, a raffle for it uh, and a lottery. And uh, it just cost $10 a ticket for the lottery. And so 50 million people buy a $10 ticket, you know, half a billion dollars is spent. They're going to have their whole orchestra. They're going to have all the electrons, everything in the world. First half of the concert, an hour and a half, is going to be their first half of their, uh, their, their songs. And then the great last half, the last half. So, and you can just imagine after, No public concert for over 10 years, this select group of people, 12,000, are going to hear the whole Beatles uh, song. So that kind of thing, this eagerness awaiting our revelation, we so often, each one of us think Uh, Who am I? What am I? What do I have ultimately? What have I accomplished in this world? Which are decent questions. And the world is on its side uh, demeaning us, denigrating us as people who uh, have no place sometimes even in this world. Uh, And yet God in his plan, uh, as Noah talked about it earlier, uh, his plan will not be stopped. And his plan is to exalt his children along with his own son, Jesus Christ, in ways we cannot even imagine. But all of creation is oriented toward that final revelation of the children of God. And the question might be asked, well, why creation? Why, Why are you so excited about this? What's the big deal about the revelation of the children of God? And he gives an answer for that. That's why these fours, you know, this because, because, because. And so in verse 20, because the creation was subjected to futility. The creation has been since the fall of uh, Adam and Eve, the, the, uh, subjected to this futility forever in its existence in spite of all the beauty and wonder of God that still shines through creation, it's been subjected to this emptiness, frustrated in its purpose. And it is waiting for the day that it will finally be set free from that futility. So the thing is that we and creation We're tied together. There's a direct relationship between uh, people and the rest of the world. We are the key element to creation's relationship to God. We're the mediator between God and uh, creation. We're entrusted with the care of creation. We represent creation to God, and as God's image, we're to convey the wisdom and goodness of God to creation. And so we're bound together, and where hum- human beings go, then creation has to go. And so this word futility is taken from the first chapter when we read about humankind in verse chapter one, verse 21. That although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. And they rejected God in favor of idols. That futility of thinking plunged creation into futility. When we began worshiping the creature, Creation, rather than the creator, creation was subjected to this futility. And this reflects the curse pronounced in creation uh, after the sin of Adam and Eve. And notice it says, not willingly. Creation was not a party to Adam's failure. It was not an accomplice to our crime of rejecting God, but it was drawn into it nonetheless. And God's the one who Subjected it. And the futility is, as I've mentioned, the frustration of not fulfilling the purpose of its existence. So in 1990, they sent up the Hubble telescope, the great telescope that would look far beyond anything we ever had seen before. So they make it carefully, they send it up, and those of you remember the pictures came back blurry. Now, I didn't realize until I came back from the doctor's office with new glasses in the fourth grade that I had been seeing things blurry because I was driving home saying, I can see leaves, I can see bricks. This is amazing because all of that had been blurry up to that point because I was so bad nearsighted. That's what was wrong with Hubble. It was blurry. It couldn't see right. And they discovered that the problem was that the main mirror had been ground inaccurately. And it was a huge mistake. It was one fiftieth of a hair different than what it was supposed to be. But that made all the difference. Well, they couldn't go up and change the whole lens, the whole mirror. So, Challenger went up in 93. Uh, They attached five new mirrors, in other words, kind of putting glasses on the Hubble. And thereafter, perfectly beautiful pictures were sent back. But you see, the futility of, that's not, it was not meant to, we didn't put all this into, to have blurry pictures. Creation was not made to be subjected to futility Creation was wrenched from God when humanity wrenched itself from God. And thereafter, creation was, in a sense, cut off relationally from God, though, as we said, God sustains it and manifests his glory in it because human beings see creation only in terms of themselves, all of us by nature. We don't see it as a trust from God to use to glorify God. We don't dedicate creation to God and see it as a way to obey God. By nature, we don't enjoy creation in fellowship with God. We enjoy creation apart from God. We use creation for ourselves as we ignore God, the God who gave it to us as a gift And so, basically, we worship the creation instead of God, in place of God. And this frustrates creation's purpose. This is futility for creation, for some part of creation to become our God. That's not what it's meant for. That's futility. And in effect, you could say human beings have kidnapped creation. And it's like creation is in a little hut in the woods, cut off from its true family relationship to God, and all the more, creation's make believe master, mankind, can't even keep himself alive. You can just think creation like, what a master I have. He dies and I consume him. Great. Who's ruling me now? Who is this pathetic, weak, human being that's trapped me in this shoddy little hut. I want out. Creation longs for its freedom from this futility. John Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, however you like to pronounce it, Bishop of Constantinople, last half of the fourth century, he was talking, speaking on this very uh, passage, and he got pretty pointed in his uh, teaching. He says, Paul means that the creation became corruptible, corrupted, ruined, you know, in this sense. Why and for what reason? He says, because of you, O oh man, because you have a body which has become mortal and subject to suffering. The earth too has received a curse and has brought forth thorns and thistles. The creation suffered badly because of you. <laughs> course, he would include himself, but just the effect of like, those creations suffer badly because of you. And that's all of us because we all abandon God. So he did say here, it was subjected to futility in hope. So even initially when creation was subjected the, the parasites and natural disasters and all of the suffering of this world, which are, in fact, not natural disasters. We call them unnatural disasters because they are not original with this world. They invaded the world in our rejection of God. But all of these things started in hope, buoyed by hope. From the beginning, it was never a time when the world was subjected to futility, there was not hope, Paul is saying. From the beginning that God was going to rescue his planet from its plight. And the the description of creation's being set free is put this way in verse 21, creation... self will be set free from its bondage. So the futility is called bondage to corruption, which we've mentioned and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So our freedom, when we are freed from uh, all that we have suffered in all of our sin and we are made perfect and we're given new bodies, that's when creation, our freedom pulls all of creation into that freedom. It's like we're the engine and all of creation is the train. And when we fell off the track into the ravine, everything fell off. Then when we're put back, everything's put back. And all of creation is restored in our restoration. So could say that creation longs for the tender, gracious, and wise, holy care of its restored kings and queens. The liberty speak, spoken of here is, has Exodus background, right? The, the being liberated from slavery in Egypt. And so we are set free from corruption. Our dying bodies are transformed into immortal, never dying bodies, as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 15. And creation will be delivered as well. So, creation is now in Egypt. Creation needs its own Exodus, and it will receive it when ours is completed in that day. And remember, as we've touched on last week, glory means glorious, sovereign rule with Messiah, will share in his saving authority over all creation. And that's what the whole creation is waiting for. The splendid reign of the splendid human beings that will be fully capable of that rule in that day. That rule that was lost by sin, but it was regained through Messiah in his death and resurrection. God really is going to save this planet. And in some way hard to understand, we participate in it as the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you hear New Agers uh, sometimes say that the problem with the earth is human beings on the earth. Maybe they'll all be gone one day, so they'll quit spoiling the earth and the earth will recover. And, you know, when a lot of the earth looked a lot better during COVID because we weren't spilling all of our Toxic waste into the air gave some weight to that, right? Yeah, it seemed like the less of us, the better, as you could say. But God's solution is not to remove human beings from the earth. He's sticking with the original plan. He's redeeming human beings themselves to steward the earth and maximize its fruitfulness and beauty and And benefits. God from the beginning hitched Earth's star to humanity, and it'll finally work out very well for Earth because He did that. As Earth will enter the liberty of the children of God. So far from removing mankind for the sake of the earth, God reinstates mankind for the sake of the earth. The earth would never escape its bondage with the removal of mankind for creation awaits the revealing of the children of God, not their removal. The earth's freedom and flourishing is bound to the glory of God's children. It does not need their being taken away. It needs their being made new and it waits for the, their resurrection. And so thankfully, creation is not determined by the puny minds of human beings. Even in its futility, it's still God's world. This is my Father's world. It's no one else's. It is in His mighty hands for His purposes. Mankind only thinks that it is His God will save his people forever and God will save planet earth forever. And we live and grow and love and suffer in that hope, that sure hope of where things are headed in him. And I want to just say a final word to those of you who may be here who have not trusted Christ. It's hard to comprehend the extent of the salvation Of Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with fundamental ideas of Christ dying on the cross and there are passages like 1 Peter 2, 24 that says, he bore our sins in his body on the cross, on the tree. So bearing means that he stood in our place and he received the punishment that we deserved As he hung there on the cross, more was going on than just a Jewish man being put to death by Romans. He was bearing our sin. And that also brings up this word that, you know, there are words in the New Testament you think, I just don't want to know what that word means. It's too big. And one of those words is propitiation. But that's a word you want to know. Because it means he bears away the wrath of God. So none of it falls on you. That's a good word. Propitiation, bearing away all the wrath, none of it. There's no condemnation, Paul starts this chapter with. And not only that we're forgiven and there's no wrath, but then we're clothed, as we talked about last week, with the glory and beauty of Christ's own righteousness. That was the biggest shock for me. Uh, Growing up, I thought that I had to earn my way to heaven and I was a thinking little kid and I thought, I don't know when I stand before God, uh, how how much does my good count versus my bad? I don't know. And I just knew nobody was going to know until you got there and you you hear your grade, right? I mean, that's what I thought. And that's why when the teacher asked one day, if you could be anybody in the history of the world, what would you be? Ask everybody in the class and I knew she'd think I was crazy, but I said, I'd be the thief on the cross. Of course, she's like, darling, why? What in the world? Send me down to the psychologist. Well, we didn't have him in that day. You're just crazy, you know, but. um, And I said, because he heard from Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. And I said, as I thought, he's the only human being that ever knew he was going to heaven. Because I thought it was up to me and my good And I heard along the way some illustration like you're standing here and and God's on that side of the table and you put all of your good stuff in front of him and start looking at it and you see how bad it is and how corrupt it is. And then suddenly God just scrapes it all off the table and he sets before you the perfect beauty of Jesus Christ. And he says, I will receive you if you depend on that and not that. I, I was literally born again when I thought I could know that my sins are forgiven. And not only that, that these good things that Jesus has done are counted for me. And I could stand and be accepted and beloved by God, even though I have sin. And I I tell you, that's the beginning. It's the critical core of what Christ has accomplished But you see, this acceptance means you're a child and it means you have an inheritance and it means all of creation awaits your unveiling. And that's for sinners that formerly hated God. I urge you, if you haven't trusted Christ, don't stay away from him any longer. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that we can celebrate, meditate on the beauty and glory of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, enable us to believe you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.